So I have a question for you. How long does it take for you to finally get fed up? How long does it take for you until you say, I've had enough? Earlier this morning, I asked people at first service, it's a very simple question. How long will you wait when someone has placed you on hold before you hang up? One minute? Two minutes? Three minutes? Ever been on hold for 10 minutes? Yes. I'm sure you've experienced the frustration. And the most frustrating part is when you first call and they answer by saying, hello, can I put you on hold, please? Right? Because how can you answer that? If you say no, they're going to put you on hold anyway. And so you have to say, yes, I'll hold. And then, they, and then you have that music that no one wants to hear. How long does it take for you to get frustrated and reach that point where you, you've had enough? How long does it take? How long will you keep answering the same questions? We were just on a road trip last week. And we're afraid of the road trip at first because you know what happens when you have small children during a road trip? You have to keep answering the same question. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? My kids like to say, how much longer? How much longer? Sometimes I answer in time. Sometimes I answer in miles. Just to mix things up because their question is the same. How much longer, Dad? How much longer? Is this it? Are we there yet? Is this it? How long will you keep answering the same questions? How long will you wait for an apology before you give up on somebody? How long will you wait? How long? We've been studying God's interactions with the people of Israel that we find in the book of Exodus. And we're going to pick up the story there. So if you would please open up your Bibles to the book of Exodus. We are in Exodus chapter 16. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you, and you can feel free to open it up. We are in Exodus chapter 16. In Exodus chapter 16, we pick up the story of God leading the people of Israel. And just so you know, because it's been a couple of weeks since we, we, we had this conversation, um, God had planned for some time to create a people for himself. We call it the people of Israel, God's nation and God had made this promise long, long ago to Abraham, whom we affectionately call Father Abraham. And he had said to Abraham, you will be a father of many, many nations. In fact, the whole earth will be blessed by you because from you and your descendants, thousands will come and they will be called my people. And that promise he uttered to everyone in the line of succession from Abraham on down to Joseph and his brothers who ended up in Egypt. You know the story. And there in Egypt, they multiplied until they numbered in the hundreds of thousands. And the years that they were there, about 430 years, they forgot God. They, they, they heard stories, but did not have this personal relationship like Abraham had, like Isaac had, like Joseph had. And so God decided that it was time to act, and he called upon Moses and raised him up as a leader to lead his people in a mass exit, an exodus out of Egypt. But they did not know God intimately. So God used this opportunity to try to gain their trust. And you know the story. We've talked about it. God uses power mightily to lead through the various different plagues and such to, to lead the people to a place until they finally knew that God was in charge and in control. And we've been studying how God led them out of Egypt and led them through the desert. 
You remember a story a couple of weeks, weeks ago we talked about how uh, the people of Israel were led by God to the edge of the Red Sea and there they were facing a life and death situation and God opened up the waters of the Red Sea. You remember the story and then they walked through on dry land. And shortly thereafter as they had gone to the other side and began to celebrate and praise God for how amazing it was, they quickly then forgot what he had just done. The Bible tells us in chapter 15 that they walked for three days, couldn't find water and they decided... God wasn't worth following. What have you done? Where have you led us? And God provided for them in chapter 15. And then we pick up the story in 16. Read along with me. And the whole Israelite community, verse 1, chapter 16, set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. For just over a month, they had been traveling and had left Egypt. Just over a month, a little over a month. And in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the Israelites said to Moses and Aaron, their leaders, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, at least there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve the entire assembly to death. It's a fascinating character study in, in the lives of these people as God is trying to establish a relationship of trust. And after God had delivered many significant ways all the way back from all the miraculous uh, plagues that happened and, and the provision of the Red Sea and, and, and the sweet water, now they go a little bit further and they're in the desert and they begin to complain about food. Now that's a familiar complaint, right? My kids do it to me all the time. Papa, I'm hungry. Your kids do that to you? I'm hungry. In fact, my kids' favorite thing to do is, can I have a snack? Can I have a snack? We were on a road trip last week, and we stuffed the, the, the RV full of snacks because we knew <laughs> they were going to keep asking for food, asking for food. You would think we never feed them. I'm sure you have if they've asked you for a snack, and, and I apologize because I know that's what they do. They roam from chair to chair, pew to pew, and put out their hand, and so I apologize. But some of you are to blame because you keep feeding them. And you know what happens when you feed animals. They just come back. So you can understand their complaint. They had traveled into the desert, and suddenly there was no food. By the way, just before this, they had been hanging out a place that had, that had water and palm trees, a virtual oasis, and they had camped there probably for a few weeks, but now they're headed into the deserts where there was no more palm trees, no more oasis, and they began to grumble. And they said, oh, you should have just left us in Egypt, which is a, a common complaint to them, always looking backwards. Always longing for the past, even though, to be frank, the past was miserable. They lived in slavery. They had no identity. They suffered and they wailed and they cried. No autonomy and no freedom. And yet, when encountering difficult situations here, as they're moving forward, they just look to the past. Have you ever done that? Look to the past with rosy colored glasses? You ever done that? Where you long for wishing the way things could be, the way they used to be? But it's because we tend to forget how bad it was, and certainly they have. And look what they said. Oh, if only you had let us die in Egypt. But at least there, they said, we were surrounded by pots of meat and all the food we wanted. 
Sounds like hometown. Pots of meat and all the food we wanted. In fact, they ate well in Egypt. Researchers tell us that they had probably lots of fish and poultry. uh, And they had vegetables. They just wouldn't set them well because they were their slaves. And they had to work physically hard. So they, they kept them well fed. So here in the desert, they don't find that. There's no fish in the desert. There's no meat. There's no food. And they begin to grumble. And oh, they say, we wish, we long for yesterday. And God said to Moses, fine, look at this, verse 4. I will rain down bread from heaven for you. I will rain down bread from heaven for you. When I read that, I just love the sound of that. That God would say, I will send directly from the heaven something for you. And the people are to go out each day and gather enough for each day. And in this way, I will test them to see whether they will follow my instructions. So I was reading, I was thinking, oh, wow, God is raining down. But God said, I'm going to rain down stuff for you, but it will be a test. Do you know that God tests people? Now, I know some of you guys have just started back to school, so the last thing you want to hear is test. But if you ask any teacher in the congregation, honestly, we have several, tests are necessary. Right, teachers? Tests are a way that you increase learning. Without a test, information usually does not get applied. So God says, I'm going to provide for you, but I'm going to test you. God says, I'm going to do something for you, but in order to understand what I'm doing, there will be a test. I'm going to prove you. And he says this. Tell the people to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them to see whether they follow my instructions. So on the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in. And that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. I'm sure you've heard the story, but if you haven't, it's a really interesting uh, concept God is doing here. So verse 6. So Moses and Aaron said to the Israelites, In the evening, you will know it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Uh, Fascinating here, as I've told you before, the glory of God was ever present with the camp. In fact, the Bible tells us that God would lead them during the day with the pillar of cloud that provides shade that would walk under the shadow of the Almighty, and at night that pillar would become fire to lead their way and provide light to their camp. So they were, they were constantly, daily aware of God's presence, and still, and still they doubted his provision. So they cry out, we got no food, and God says, I'm going to rain down, but I want to see if you will actually follow my instructions. So Moses said to the people, God has heard you. God has heard your complaints. Look what Moses says, verse 8. And Moses says this, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we after all? You're not grumbling against us, but against God. See, God had placed Aaron and Moses as leaders. So they were tasked with giving God's plan. And trust me, you don't want to be in Moses' shoes, right? To lead people away from hometown life provisions into a desert of nothingness. To say, follow us, but we don't know exactly where we're going. Let's leave this place. Where are we going? I'm not quite sure, but we should go. Who are we following? Well, he's God. Where is he? I can't see him. Well, he's there. You may not see his face, but you just have to trust him. You don't want Aaron and Moses' role. And so when the people grumble, uh, Aaron and Moses step back and say, listen, guys, we're only doing what God has told us. So if you're upset about the plan, you've got to understand you're not upset with us. 
You're grumbling against him. Pretty interesting warning. And then Moses told Aaron, say to the Israelites, come before the Lord. God has heard your grumbling. That's right. God can hear what you say under your breath, just so you know. God has heard your grumbling. And while Aaron was speaking, they looked at the desert, and the glory of the Lord appeared. And God said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them this. At twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. See, this is the way God operates. He provides as an expression of his lordship. He provides for us as an expression of his protection. He gives to us so that we would recognize that it comes from him. God says, then you will know that I am the Lord. And that evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew. I don't know if you like quail. If you're into quail, this should be great. Um, in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. And the Israelites saw it. They said to each other, what is this? They did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, this is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each of you is to gather as much as he needs. Take an omer, which is about two quarts for each person you have in your tent. And the Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered little, some gathered much. And when they measured it by the omer, he who had gathered much did not have too much. And he who had gathered little did not have too little. Everyone gathered as much as he needed. And then Moses gave this instruction. No one is to keep it overnight until morning. No one is to keep leftovers. Do you like leftovers? Yes? No? Some people love leftovers. My brother who's here today is the champ of leftovers. In fact, when we were in college, we ran a little sandwich shop, and we dreamed of opening up a restaurant called Charlie's Resurrection Sandwich Shop. And his plan was, you bring me your leftovers, and I'll make something amazing with it. And he can. He will bring it back to life. He's really good at that. I myself, I'm not a huge fan of leftovers. I don't know. Tastes a little different the next day. But here, God's instructions isn't about taste or what will look good or smell good. God's instructions here are about trust. And he says, don't save any till tomorrow. Don't save any till tomorrow. No one is to keep it until morning. Verse 20, however, some of them paid no attention and they kept some of it until morning. But by morning time, it was full of maggots and it began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. And each morning, everyone gathered as much as he needed. And when the sun grew hot, it melted away. And on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community reported to Moses. He said, this is what God commands. Tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake, boil what you want to boil, and keep whatever is left till morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses had commanded. But it did not stink or get maggots. And Moses said, eat it today because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. And you will not find any on the ground today. Six days you are to gather, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. So God created a rhythm, a pattern. He said, I'm going to bless you every day in the morning. But you are to trust me that I'm going to provide that every day. So don't keep any overnight. Tomorrow morning you'll find new, except for Friday, the sixth day. That day, take twice as much, for there will not be any on Sabbath morning. God had here, just that he had in creation, set up this rhythm of the Sabbath as an expression of relationship between him and us, that he would be our God and our provider and our creator. But notice what happened, verse 27. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found 
none. And then the Lord said to Moses, how long? How long will you refuse to keep my commands and ignore my instructions? How long? Do you know that God has a limit? And he gets frustrated? So far in the story, every time the people grumble and they complain, God just simply provides. But at this point in the story, God is like, how long do we have to keep this up? How long? What will it take? See, there's three kinds of responses to God's instructions found in this little story. God says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to trust me that I will provide for you. The first person decides, I don't trust God, so I'm going to take extra. Is that the kind of person that you are? That God has promised, but you're not so sure he's going to deliver, so you work extra hard to make sure things get done because you're not sure God will come through. That's one kind of response. You might be that type of person. That you'll say, well, God has said this and that, but I don't know if I can really rely on him, so I'm going to just go ahead and handle this matter on my own. I'm going to take extra to make sure that I've got tomorrow covered. Are you that type of person? The second type of person is the person who does not follow God's instructions and rejects his discipline. So when God says, on Friday, take twice as much, they don't. So they're not prepared, and on Sabbath, they go out looking for it, and it is not there. And you know why don't take enough? Because they refuse to take God's instructional discipline. See, what God is setting the course, he says, this is the path to favor, but it requires you to follow the instructions. And this type of person says, nah, I don't want to. I don't like you telling me what to do and how to do it. I'm just going to figure this out when I get there on my own. And so they wake up on Sabbath. They go looking for bread, and none is there. First, let's admit that bread coming down from heaven would be an amazing thing. Think about it, right? Imagine that. Imagine that you, as a husband, father, or mother, wouldn't have to worry about what meals are coming from, that you didn't need a fridge. We would save so much money on electricity. Do you know that the second fridge in your home, because if you're Filipino, you got two, one's in the garage, is usually the culprit for why your bills are so high. Costco preys on our insecurities about the future, right? Let's be honest. We rarely finish a Costco size of anything, unless it's toilet paper. We'll go through that really fast. (laughs) God here is trying to provide a relationship of trust, but there are two responses generally to, to this invitation of God. One that says, I do not trust you to provide for me, and the other one that says, I do not trust you to lead me. So the first people say, "Uh, okay, sure, God, you say you will provide, but I don't think so. So while I'm here, I'm going to gather. Because two, what is it? No, 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 two, something in the hand is worth than. Yeah, you go, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. They said, no, yeah, while I got it, I'm just going to scoop it all up. Because I do not trust you to provide for me. Are you that kind of person? Just think about it for a second. When you're looking at your life situation, your job, your goals, your family, are you relying on your own wits and strength to make sure that tomorrow is good 
that tomorrow is prepared for. Are you that kind of person? And the second person says, I don't trust your leadership, God. I see that you can provide, but I don't want to follow the discipline necessary to be in favor with you. I don't trust where you're leading me. So I'm not going to take extra when you say so. I'm just going to figure it out when I get there. Are you that kind of person where God has repeatedly said to you, listen carefully, put that away, that behavior, that habit, that thing that you do, that's not in favor with me, but you reject God's instructions. Are you the kind of person when God says, I want you to start this. This is where I'm leading you. I want you to step up and follow me. Make these sacrifices. Take these risks, but you say, hmm. And then there's a third one. The one that trusts God as the ultimate leader and provider. And the Bible says that some Many, in fact, did as God told them. And for them, there was new every morning. And on Sabbath, what they had gathered on Friday stayed whole and didn't rot. But for those that were refusing God's provision and refusing God's leadership, God asked this question, how long will you refuse my commands and my instructions? How long? God says, don't you understand that I'm the one who gave you the Sabbath in the first place? I'm the one who's providing this for you, so you've got to trust me. Everyone is supposed to rest on the Sabbath, so allow me to provide for you. And the people began to rest. The Bible tells us here, verse 31, that the people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander and tasted like wafers made with honey. That sounds good to me. Honey wafers. And Moses says, this is what God has commanded Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come so that they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the desert when I brought you out of Egypt. And Moses said, take a jar and let's put some of this manna into it. And as I read this, it struck me that God has a heart for the generations. After the experience that they had gone, after the lessons that they were learning, God told them and instructed Moses, now understand that everything that you're living through, every challenge, every test that you're living through is meant to instruct and bless the generations. Do you know that throughout the first five books, God continually repeats this. He says, remember this day and tell it to your children. In Deuteronomy 5, God says, tell your children, impress upon them, write these things, tell them that I'm the one who did this for you in the past so that they may grow up in favor and be blessed and multiply. So God stops here in this moment and in the story and he says, take some of this manna and preserve it so you can tell the people God provides. And that this would be a message that would get carried for the generations. God has a heart for the generations, friends, family, loved ones. What we do today sets the path for the generations that come tomorrow. Do you know that the story doesn't end with us? We just happen to be a part of it. And we cannot come to believe that God's story centers around us, me, my life, my situations. No, the whole story is about the grace of God, not the interests of Milton. 
The whole story is about how God is the provider, not about whether or not I am successful. The story is about God. And we just happen to be currently the canvas upon which he is painting his brushstrokes of grace and love and generosity. And Stanley, the author, says that we are stewards of the church for our generation. And what that means and what we've come to believe here on our campus and are increasingly uh, uh, confident of is that we are not owners of the church, but simply caretakers of the church. We are not owners, but simply caretakers, stewards of the church for the next generation. And that we have to honor those that came before us and be grateful for everything that they did to give us these opportunities. But we must also prepare and empower those who will steward the church after us because God is interested in the generations. God has a heart for the generations here in our church community. A few years ago, I attended a leadership conference where this author, Andy Stanley, was actually speaking. And it was at a time in my life when I was struggling with some questions about how long can I wait on you, God? You've promised these things for my life, but nothing's happening. Does anybody understand what that's like? Where God has set you on a path or on a course, asked you to move someplace, asked you to, uh, you know, be at this church, asked you to lead this ministry, and you're waiting and waiting, and it seems like... It's not happening. And I was at that place where I felt like God had told me, go down this path and you were going to do these things, but things weren't happening. And I was really frustrated. And I was asking God, how long do I have to wait? How long? How long? And I was listening to Andy Stanley, and he said something that just kind of shook my soul. And this is what he said. The most important contribution you make may not be something you do, but someone you raise. And it just blew me away. Because I have been obsessed about finding my place in the story and making sure that I made my mark in ministry. That the church reflected me. And began to realize, it may not be about me. It might be about someone I raise. So you can understand why this day is so important and special for me and my family. For in our kids and in my daughter, it's God's expression of blessing for the generations to come. Family, we have to come to terms with this. There will be a time when you will have your hands on the direction of a ministry and of this church, but it cannot be forever. Even now, as I gently and loosely hold the leadership of this church, I know that God will ask it from my hands, and I must be prepared and willing to pass it on, just as someone has passed it on to me. And I want you to understand 
that what we do in the everyday trusting of God is what really teaches the lessons for those that come after us. What we say and what we preach has little bearing against what we do day in and day out. It doesn't matter how much we recite these things on Sabbath if on the first six days of the week we are not receiving God's fresh blessing every day. It doesn't matter how much we theologize and make large statements if we are not in the everyday walk of our lives teaching our children by the way we live our lives that we trust in him, that it all belongs to him, that we are not owners of this body and of this church and of this time, but we are simply stewards, caretakers of what God has entrusted to us. He is the owner. We are not. And friends... If we want to set a path for the future, we must be concerned with what we're doing now, what example we are living and leaving. And we must, we must embrace the generations. Honor those that came before us and empower those that come after us wherever we are. We have a dream here. I have a dream in this church that will not just simply be about the young people or the older people, or about families or kids, but it would be about all of us. And that each and every one of us, wherever we find ourselves on this line, will be grateful for those that have come before and will be generous with those that are coming after. That's my dream. That's what I wish and pray for. But I know how difficult it is. I know how tough it is for us for some of us to trust that God will in fact provide tomorrow. For some of us to believe that yes, in fact, God will raise up new leaders. So we're like those people, like we like to gather twice as much. I don't know if I can trust you, God. I don't know about these young people. I don't know that they can handle the responsibility. So I'm going to do twice as much. But it just begins to stink and rot. And then there are others of us, sometimes in the younger generations, who refuse the discipline necessary to prepare ourselves for when the time comes. So we say, no, I don't have to worry about it. I'll worry about it when I get there. But neither of those trust in God's provision. And I'm challenging you and myself, so I have a challenge for you as a church, as a community. First, I want to say this. In all honesty, I'm so grateful for Jack and Donna, for Kitty, for Dr. Crandall. I'm so grateful for Richard Lewis and Pastor Tom and Sue Smith. I'm so grateful for everyone that has come before, has been here, and has left a place for others to join in. I'm so grateful that you did not just own the church but that you took care of it and preserved it. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for the freedom and the support you have given to myself and those that are in leadership now. I want to issue a challenge to those of us that are in leadership, whether you lead here or you lead at home or in your businesses. I want you to, to understand this challenge clearly. You will not always be in charge. And you need to prepare today to not be in charge tomorrow. How? By blessing and being generous 
with those that come after us. So for those of you who lead current ministries with me, I know it's tough. I know it's challenging. I know it's hard to trust that God will raise up new people. And when you look around and you see young people and they just don't look like they've got it, you need to trust that God is a God of generations. And in the same way he provided for them day after day after day, he will provide for us. So I challenge you not to make the story about you or me, but about God. And then I want to issue a challenge to the next generations. Guys, let me just tell you what a proud moment it is to see you guys up here. Just a few years ago when I came, we dreamed about it. Megan was so little. She was just a freshman in high school. And we used to talk about it. Talk about Youth Sabbath and someday we'll have a band. And seeing you guys up here singing and praising fills my heart with joy. And confidence that God indeed does provide. But I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you because... It won't be long before the next generation takes your place. Right? It happens quickly. So while you're in the season of youth and energy and excitement and ideas, don't just live it for yourself, but live it in light of the people that are looking up to you. Look at my daughter and her friends. They're watching you even more than they're watching us. And God has a heart for the generations. So live a life that blesses not only you, but them. I also want to challenge you to be grateful to those that have come before. Because many of the victories that you have today have been bought and fought for with great pain and hurt by those that have come before you. There are many insults and put-downs that others have had to endure just so that you would have the freedom to try your hand at it. Do not take that for granted. Be grateful for that. And God will continue to multiply it in your hands. And I want to challenge the younger generation, my daughter, wherever you are, and the rest of the soul surfers who are nipping at the heels. I want to challenge you to grow up not in fear of what's in front of you because God will also bless you with courage and wisdom to create change in the world and even in this church. So rise up. Don't shy away from it. God will provide for you the same way he provided for them and for us and for those that came before. God is a God of generations, and he wants to be a provider for all of us. And so his question is, how long? How long? How long will you go before you finally trust me? How long will you go?